Amen. <laughs> oh, what a great day. Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, we welcome back our, uh, our team from Honduras. And uh, we've had a successful trip into Honduras and, and back home. And we've just got some great news to share. I'm not going to steal their thunder. But I will tell you this, on Wednesday night, this, this coming Wednesday night, they will be sharing... Uh, we'll be hearing from each person of the team, I believe, about what God, they saw God doing in, in Honduras. So I hope that you will come Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And, and hear their update and uh, what God is doing and what God has done uh, in, in them taking the gospel uh, to Honduras. But I know you're going to want to hear that. You know, this morning we've got some truth and, and um, you know, we're talking about wisdom. We're talking about um, out of the book of Proverbs. And uh, when I think about that, you know, there's a lot of times where we uh, think that we know what is best, but I just want you to understand something that the reason that we've been <laughs> preaching out of Proverbs the last several weeks is because we need that wisdom. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need that, that wisdom that comes from God. And this morning we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 25. And if you want to open your scripture up to that, if you want to scroll it open or open it up, however you do it. Uh, but, you know, Jesus said in Matthew 22, uh, verse 37, he said that the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. With all your mind. And he said in the, the second commandment, he said this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second one is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. You love your neighbor as yourself. And the second greatest commandment to love our neighbors is the focus of this passage today. You see, the Bible tells us that, that words and actions are the very way that we relate to one another. This is talking about what we say and what we do. They're, they're, they're very much together. And, you know, according to D.A. Benton in her book, Executive Charisma, she says this, she said, the ability to work well with other people accounts for 85% of our success in getting, keeping, and advancing in our jobs. 85% is our ability to work with other people. <laughs> wow. Our technical skills account for the remaining 15%. And she says over a 35-year career, you'll experience over 100,000 hours of decision-making. And 400,000 hours of interacting with other people. I think that's huge because, you know, a lot of times we don't think about what we say and we may not think a whole lot about what we do. We think that we are responsible just for us, but folks, it's not just us. It's everybody around us that we are also responsible to and for. But I want to read out of uh, Proverbs 25. I want to begin in verse one and just read a few verses there, two or three. But I want us to, to first look at accentuating the positive, okay? Um, as we begin reading in, in Proverbs 25, 
says these also are proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. You know, many of the Proverbs, I just want to uh, take a moment and, and, and voice a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. And uh, Father, I thank you for the wisdom that is found in your word. Father, I pray that we would apply your word to our lives. And Father, that by doing that, that we would also become wise. Father, in the ways uh, of godly wisdom. And Father, that you would give us what we need this morning. Father, I know that we all come from different places. Some are grieving this morning. Some are celebrating. Some are, are, are um, uh, just, you know, lonely. Some are having issues with other things, maybe finances or this or that. But Father, I pray that even in this moment, that we could just put aside the things that are on our mind and that we would just focus upon you and allow your word to sink deeply into our hearts and into our minds. Father, I pray that we would be able to, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Father, guide us in your name, we pray. Amen. You know, many of the Proverbs in this chapter 25 are comparisons. They compare one thing to another thing and they, they lay out two similar concepts and we, we look at them and we, uh, we need uh, discernment between the two halves and it causes us to stop and think. When we see this, when we say, well, how, is the, how are those two things related? Or, and, and, and we really want to savor uh, the, the wisdom that, that God puts in his word. And, and this morning, um, you know, like a wonderful family meal, okay, um, you know, they, they, they put things in a, in a bowl on the table and then you just help yourself to whatever you want there, okay, and, and just like a family meal, I'm going to set bowls of these uh, savory deliciousness on the table and what you choose to do with it is up to you. All I can do is put it on the table if you walk away hungry, that's not my fault. You have to partake in it. And, and, and so as we begin this, I want to start with verse 11 in chapter 25. And I'm just going to pick out several verses. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to pick out several of them. And the first thing I want you to, to, to see here is that we need to speak appropriately. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to speak appropriately. Verse 11 says this, it says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. You know, you may have heard the saying, the phrase, uh, timing is everything. And according to the Bible, good timing also applies <laughs> to our words, but also our actions, what we do. I mean, think of a time, think of a time when God used you to bring a timely word to refresh someone, 
Someone who was burdened down, someone who was struggling, and God gave you a timely word to refresh them. And maybe there was another time when you wanted to speak, but you recognized that maybe it wasn't the right time, and so it was wiser that you remained silent. I mean, Solomon compares here properly timed and well-spoken words. He compares them with apples of gold in a, a silver setting. Beautiful, valuable, and carefully crafted. Oh, we say so many things. We just let it flow. There is no crafting going on. There's no discernment going on. It's just flowing out of our heart and coming out the top. And so many times, that's what he's saying, speak appropriately. So here we see the relationship between craftsmanship and a word fitly spoken. I mean, the gold and the silver, they can produce an item of beauty, but it needs a craftsman who can take the time and the trouble to make something out of it. I mean, the emphasis is on the appropriateness and the timeliness of our words. I mean, the right word is a delightful gift, but this requires thought and, and wisdom and skill. So, so I encourage you to think about how you speak to others. Sometimes our words are very cutting. They're very sharp. Sometimes we say things because we don't know what to say. And so we just babble on. But the idea is, is, is think appropriately, speak appropriately those things that God puts on your heart. See, knowing the right time to speak is beneficial for both the speaker and the one who is hearing. <laughs> I mean, you think about that. Whether they are words of love, whether they are words of encouragement, or even words of rebuke. I mean, keeping silent also has its place in time. I mean, sometimes we're tempted to make a joke or deride or, or belittle or even slander uh, someone. And Solomon said that it is wise to hold our tongue, recognizing the appropriate time for silence. You know, in Proverbs 11, 12, and 13, it says, a man of understanding keeps silent. See, it's often hard to know what to say and when to say it. The Spirit will help us to be discerning. He will help us to use the right words at the right time and in the right manner for the good of others and for His honor. But folks, we have to run it through Him first. We can't just say whatever comes to our mind. Moving on, I want to talk about reproving wisely. If you look at verse 12, it says, Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. See, rebuke is a very positive use of speech. Provided that it's motivated by God's wisdom. I mean, there are two pieces of jewelry that are mentioned here in verse 12 that, that complement one another and are very much more valuable together than they are apart. And I would say that the person who gives wise, constructive criticism 
bases their rebuke on God's wisdom as revealed in Scripture. When someone asks you what you think, maybe you should point them to God's Word first rather than telling them what you think. See, that is wisdom. That is, that is running it through the Holy Spirit. Within the Christian family, this is how we support and strengthen one another, both by giving and receiving rebuke from each other. If things aren't right, if we're not doing right, if something is, is amiss, if something is wrong and someone says something, they are rebuking you because they are a brother or sister in Christ. They want to see you do better. You know, when an unmarried girl had become pregnant, she walked across the platform to receive her high school diploma. The audience gave her a standing ovation. And there was a writer there who wasn't a believer and was present at the graduation and he commented that this wouldn't have happened a few generations ago. And the teenager likely would have been confronted about her sexual misconduct. And he said that if she admitted she had done wrong, she would likely be forgiven. Her parents and the boy's parents, maybe their pastors would have considered the possibility of, of a marriage. And they would have stood by them. But the columnist, he said, those applauding this pregnant graduate were not giving real help. They were just offering shallow approval. See, if a person who professes no faith in Christ can see, then, see this, then as Christians, we should equally be as perceptive. We need to understand this. The Apostle Paul didn't hesitate to commend the Corinthian Christians in, in 2 Corinthians 2 for disciplining a man for immorality. And right after that, and when the offender repented, Paul was quick to urge them to forgive him fully. So I say, speak appropriately and rebuke wisely. I would also say in this passage, narrate faithfully. Verse 13, like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. See, the cold here does not refer to bitter cold, but really to refreshment during a time of great heat. Man, the heat is back, isn't it? I mean, I felt it yesterday pretty good. I walked out this morning, it didn't cool down all that much after that rain. But I know we're, we're in for some heat. And the refreshment comes to the one who has actually sent the messenger out. The messenger receives his task with integrity, with truthfulness. And so he refreshes the one who sent him. And so I ask you this, and I bring this up because when... When someone asks us to represent what happened in a meeting, or when someone asks us to convey the details of a document, can you be relied on to be truthful in an age of spin? Everybody's spinning everything to their advantage. 
Can we be relied on just to, to give the truth of what happened in the meeting and what's on the document? Because this is huge because this is wisdom from God's word. Many times we get caught up in the things that are going on in our world and because everybody else is doing it, we think it's okay for us. Brothers and sisters, it's not okay. It's not okay. Verse 15. Persuade patiently. By forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bones. See, the situation here is trying to win someone over, seeking to win someone over who is in authority over you. I mean, this doesn't mean that we're pulling the wool over someone's eyes as a fool would. The godly, wise person with quiet persistence, patience, and gentleness would win all sorts of victories that haranguing and anger will never see. And so at this point, what we're going to talk about is tact. T-A-C-T. Tact. Making a point without making an enemy. (laughs) Someone noted that tact is like a girdle. (laughs) It's okay to laugh. It enables you to organize the awkward truth more attractively. There's a Chinese proverb says it this way, do not use a hatchet to remove a fly from a friend's forehead. I mean, both of those statements remind us that we often are are called to say a hard truth to others. And sometimes that means risking the love of those we hold most dear. I mean, we must tell them the truth or they're not going to get any better. I mean, we have to speak the truth. Maybe they simply don't see it. Maybe they don't want to see it. Maybe they have a bad habit that's, that's holding them back. Or, or maybe they have an unseen character flaw that causes them to lose respect with others. You know it. You see it. And you care about them. Do you care enough to tell them the truth? Now we're just going to let them go on and do that. Do you also care enough to speak with tact? To tell them exactly what's going on in a way that they will receive it. See, there's two strategies that are found in this proverb that you can use. The first one is patience. (laughs) We think fast food takes too long. We're not patient for anything. We get impatient at just about everything. But the idea is we have this patience and and that means waiting till the right moment to speak your mind. I mean, timing is everything. And if you embarrass someone publicly, remember we're talking about someone who's in authority over you. If you embarrass them publicly, he isn't likely to respond favorably. Likewise, if you ambush someone the moment they walk through the door, they're probably going to regard your words as a personal attack. So before you speak, take your time. Take your time. Think. Pray. Ask God to give you an open door. And when it comes, you'll be ready for that second strategy, which is 
to use a gentle tongue. Just as a gentle answer turns away wrath, it says in, in Proverbs 15:1, even so a gentle tongue can break a bone. It won't happen quickly, but in most cases, gentleness accomplishes far more than threats or intimidation. See, in making a plea for tact, I'm asking for nothing more than us to be able to speak the truth in love. That's what it says in Ephesians 4. Jesus did it. He spoke the truth in love, and he's remembered today as the supreme embodiment of love. And yet he spoke the truth. No one ever spoke the truth like Jesus did. He wasn't afraid to, to talk to, the, 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 to power, to speak truth to power, to, to challenge the rulers of his day. And when necessary, he didn't, he didn't pause. He didn't hesitate to take out a whip and clean out the temple, which doesn't sound like a very tactful thing to do. But he did it. And since he was the son of God, it must have been the right thing to do. So what exactly is this gentle tongue that can break a bone? I'm going to put it in a nutshell for you. It goes like this. It's the ability to say the right thing at the right time, in the right way, without saying anything you didn't want to say and that didn't need to be said. In other words, it's being very direct and bold and concise, but speaking the truth in love. See, a tactful person seeks to find a private place in a, a fitting moment. It means that you refuse to dump all your frustrations on another person. You say what needs to be said in the quickest, kindest, most direct way possible. And then you move on, okay? Sometimes we like to camp out there and keep grinding on it. Stop. Once you've made your point, move on. It's pretty simple. Now, tact is nothing more than wisdom applied to the girdle moments of life, okay? And remember, when you have to speak the awkward truth, don't use a hatchet to get rid of the fly. Also, verse 25, it says, like cold water on a, to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. <laughs> good news from a distant land reminds me of those beaming that came back from Honduras. A good word, good news from a distant land. Think about this. We report refreshingly. We have the opportunity to interact with each other many times during the week. Think about all the ways that we could build each other up by bringing good news to one another. I mean, so many times we just pass each other in the hall and we might say good morning, but we don't use it as an opportunity to build someone else up. We don't use it as an opportunity to, to think of how we can encourage one another. Man, we miss the opportunity most of the time. And let me tell you why. Because we're focused on ourselves. We're not focused on someone else. We're not focused on others. We're focused on me. 
And so when we do that, we're not building up the body. We're missing an opportunity to be a blessing to one another. Think about that. Report refreshingly. And all of these have been very positive kind of things. I said accentuate the positive, but there's also some other things that we need to do. We need to eliminate the negative, okay? And, and, and as much as it helps to have positive commands, sometimes we need negative commands since we naturally gravitate towards doing the wrong things. If we go back to verse 8 in chapter 25, it says... Do not go out hastily to argue your case. Otherwise, what will you do in the end when your neighbor humiliates you? Argue your case with your neighbor and do not reveal the secret of another. Or he who hears it will reproach you and the evil report about you will not pass away. See, various forms, I I just say we, we... don't gossip very simply don't gossip about other people I mean many times we we do that we gossip about other people we might cloak it as a prayer request we might say well we need to be in prayer for them but let me tell you what's going on with them and then we just let it fly there's nothing godly about that nothing See, if you were really loving that person, you would want to protect their dignity. You would want to guard those words carefully. Various forms of careless speech sprinkle these verses, and there's a hastiness to testify against someone else's neighbor. See, wisdom recognizes this may backfire on us, since we usually don't know all the facts. Most of the time, we don't know all the facts. And our motives are rarely as pure as we think they are. There's enough darkness in this heart right here to keep me busy. And when I get this taken care of, my brother, my sister is not going to be a problem. Don't gossip. Verse 14 says, don't boast like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. See, clouds without rain in Israel symbolized promises without substance. Promises that are made that there's nothing to back them up. And either the braggart wants you to believe that he has money that he doesn't have or to think that he's generous when he isn't. But in all of our speech, we must avoid this type of boasting. I mean, we hear people do it all the time. It's, it's all around us, people boasting about all kinds of things. You know, researchers at Montana State University, they, they challenge the idea, this is interesting, that a high sugar snack creates quick energy. They tested long-distance runners on stationary exercise bicycles and found that athletes who had a sugar-free drink before the workout were able to pedal 25% longer than those who had a sugary drink. 
And the study concluded that athletes would be well advised to abstain from sugar snacks before exercise. See, looking for attention, bragging about our accomplishments might be sweet to the taste in the short run. But in the long run, bragging does to the personality what eating about five pounds of chocolate-covered cherries does to the waistline. If you keep bragging about yourself, it does something to your personality. That's what I'm saying. You cannot do that and not be changed. See, nothing makes us weaker. Hear me. Nothing makes us weaker as individuals or as a nation than a constant diet of self-centeredness and pride. It weakens us as individuals. It weakens us as a nation when we are focused on ourselves and on our own pride. See, all our energy is used up on ourselves. How much better to deny ourselves the sweet taste of self-glory by exercising discipline and faith. See, that's how we become strong enough to meet the challenges that we face. And here's a very important biblical principle. Faith steps in when pride steps out. Those two don't go together, faith and pride. Now, I don't, I don't know if you're paying attention to what's going on in our country, but faith and pride do not go together. We have to understand that as God's people. When faith steps in, when pride steps out. We know what's wrong with our nation. We just need to stand up and exercise faith in that. Moving on, look at verse 18. Like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow is a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. Brothers and sisters, don't lie. Be done with it. Just be truthful. Good, bad, or indifferent, be truthful. Just, just don't lie. The neighbor here is, is broad by definition. And we're, we're to be scrupulously truthful in all that we say about others. See, a false tongue is a highly dangerous weapon. And it escalates conflict and hostility like the weapons of death. A club, a sword, a sharp arrow in these verses. See, when we lie about others, what we're doing is we're killing their reputation we're killing their reputation and most of the time most of the time we don't even know what we're talking about we might hear a snippet of truth and then we take it and run with it we embellish it we make up stuff we say well this is what must have happened because that's what we think would happen but we don't know what happened but we like to fill in the blank. 
We like all those little blanks filled in. And so if we don't know what happened, we'll make up something. Stop it. Just stop it. Don't lie. I love verse 20. It says, like the one who takes off a garment on the cold day or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink for you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. See, using this speech without sensitivity to the condition of the hearer. It's very provoking. When somebody says something to you that just hits you right in the face and it hits you wrong, you're you're provoking them. So don't impose your mood on others, but empathize, empathize with them. When you see somebody that's going through something, when you understand something, about what the situation, then empathize with them. But don't provoke them. And see, we need to look at this, um, (laughs) at defining who the enemy is in this passage. I mean, like the one who takes a garment off, you know, if your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is thirsty, I wanna say this. This is not the typical way that we think of our enemy. We think of an enemy as maybe like an arch enemy or, or something like that. But the enemy is almost always a friend, a colleague, or a family member who has hurt me in some way. It's usually somebody that's close to us. My, de- my, my enemy, by definition, will always be somebody close to me. And here's a working definition. An enemy is any person <laughs> God uses to reveal my weaknesses. That's the way we view them. Well, how dare they say that about me? Maybe it's true. Maybe we need to hear it. But understand, it's it's like we're we're not trying to provoke, but an enemy is like a chisel that God uses to chip away the the rough spots in my life. And that's why if you're married, your husband or your wife will be your enemy sometimes. Sometimes. Nobody likes to think of it that way. But no one knows your weaknesses like your spouse does. See, spouses know hidden blemishes. They know secret sins. They know bad habits that the rest of the world will never see. They know because they live with you every day. They know who you are. Can a husband be your enemy? Yes. And you can still love him even when you can't stand him. Can your wife be your enemy? Yes, because she constantly and often accidentally exposes the weaknesses. She sees the the real you that no one else ever sees. You may put up a front when you go to church, but your wife knows the real story. Your wife can be your enemy, and if she loves you, she'll have to be your enemy from time to time. Otherwise, guys, how are you ever going to get better? Unless she tells you. That's why it says you have to feed the enemy. You can't let your wife or husband starve to death. 
It wouldn't look good in the media. That's why you have to give your boss or your teacher or that obnoxious person in the next office something to drink. These are people who are close to you because they, and because they are close to you, God is using them to expose weak areas of your life. But there's a happy result from treating your enemies this way. You heap burning coals on their head through deeds of love that are shown to those who have hurt us deeply. We may actually change their hearts. And in that case, your enemy has now become your friend. So what would qualify as hot coals? A kind word, a phone call, a brief note, a flower, a meal, a small gift, a letter of recommendation, running an errand, offering a ride, helping them complete a project, maybe rewriting their report, stepping in to save a project from failing, putting in a good word with their superiors, helping them clean the classroom, or maybe even just going bowling with them. I mean, being a friend, doing those things, the list is endless because hot coals refers to any act of kindness you do for an enemy. See, your only limit is your creativity, how you're going to do that. Then there's the reward. The end of verse 22 says, and the Lord will reward you. As I wrap this up, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. But I want you to focus in on verses 4 and 5 in chapter 25. Lastly, it says this. It says, take away the dross from the silver. And there comes out a vessel for the smith. Take away the wicked before the king. And his throne will be established in righteousness. Take away the dross, take away the wicked. See, when the impurities, the dross, is taken away from the silver, through the refiner's fire, the beautiful vessel becomes possible to the refiner because it is to say he is able to make a a vessel out of pure metal. He's taken all of the slag, he's taken all of the dross, all of the impurities out of it. And so now he is able to make something beautiful out of pure silver. See, the dross, it hindered the process until the impurities are completely removed. Now, after they're removed, he can begin to work on shaping the vessel But if he had tried to shape that vessel first with the impurities in there, it would have been compromised and ended up being worthless. See, there's always a negative work to be done before the positive or constructive work can be wisely and successfully completed. Think about this with me. Pull all the weeds from the garden before you plant the flowers. Remove all the slag, all the the dross before you shape the vessel out of silver. Remove the old building before you lay the new foundation. 
And then with regard to social being, verse five, take away the wicked from before the king. In other words, take all the dross, take all the the impurities, take away everything that is a mixed nature. Destroy the evil counsels. It says, and then, and then the throne of the king shall be established in righteousness. And being established in righteousness, it will be permanently established. See, only righteousness is eternal in its duration. That which is wicked has within it the principle of decay. And only time is required to bring the principle to its final form. See, righteousness, righteousness feeds on eternal resources. It draws its supply from every attribute of God. It lives to do good. And it's more than mere uprightness or goodness or demanding virtue. Righteousness is pureness. Righteousness is kindness. Righteousness is holiness. Righteousness is in every definition love. It belongs at the very throne of God. So where does all this wisdom leave us? Convicted by how short we fall? I believe so. I believe when we look at God's word and his wisdom and his righteousness, yes, we see ourselves as sinful creatures. But we should also be aware of God's grace. Asking help for us to make progress. I mean, when we ask him for strength to live wisely and to grow in likeness to Jesus Christ. He's gonna give us that wisdom. He's gonna show us how to do that. See, faith in Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the tomb is the remedy, is the cure to our dark despair. See, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ gives us the realistic view and reason for our hope. See, I believe that this morning that God is looking for willing hearts. People who are willing to take away the dross, take away the wicked so that righteousness can be established. Willing hearts to say yes to Jesus. Willing hearts to humble themselves. Hearts willing to repent and turn from pride, from wickedness. Luke 14, 11 says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humble. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I don't always live up to everything the way I should. Father, I fall short so much. 
But thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your loving kindness that is new every day.